eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, a live edition post The Clash and post Daytona 500 qualifying in the Daytona International Speedway Media Center, where I'm joined by Brant James, Jordan Bianchi. Thanks for doing this. I'm honored. I'm very glad to be here in Radio Room 4 with you two guys, especially. <laughs> Longtime freelance racing journalist, Brant James, interviewed Danica Patrick today. Watch for that story next week on The Athletic. Jordan Bianchi here for SBNation.com. You can definitely go to SBNation.com to check out all of his NASCAR coverage throughout the entirety of Speed Weeks. Let's start, guys, with qualifying for the Daytona 500, which was the first event on the bill today. Rick Hendrick, he, he was very, very happy. Obviously, all four of his cars made the final round for the fourth consecutive year. His car won the pole position for the Daytona 500. Today, the answers for Rick, Rick Hendrick were extraordinarily long and insightful. I mean, he had a lot to say, Brent. Yeah, you could tell. We keep hearing the word fun here this week. Everyone wants to have fun. I mean, that, that's great. I mean, you're down here to do a job, but they, they want to have fun. And Rick Hendrick seemed relieved. He, he obviously takes a lot of joy in his race team. He's had a lot of success. He enjoys the relationships that he's built. He does seem reinvigorated by the, these young kids with the Byrons and, you know, Chase Elliott, obviously still a young kid, and, and Alex Bowman, these guys who, you know, he, he's paying to win races now. And he seems so happy to be able to talk about fun stuff. I mean, we, we got this image of, of Rick Hendrick drag racing a Corvette <laughs> with Alex Bowman, you know, basically racing for pinks. And uh, if I could give Bowman any advice, do not make a bet with the with the car salesman you're going to lose this <laughs> he, he can he can keep doubling down he writes your checks you're going to lose this your your interest rate's going to go sky high but it does sound like rick hendrick for the first time in a long time after a lot of tough personnel stuff and personal stuff is is enjoying life again down here in daytona and that's been the operative word for him this year is fun maybe he's been hanging out with kurt bush quite a bit putting yeah. the fun back in racing yeah. is, is rick hendrick's theme for 2018 we heard this actually Last fall, uh, Jordan, when they introduced their lineup for 2018, which, of course, included William Byron, Alex Bowman, they did this big, splashy production. Hendrick Motorsports unveiled its its four cars in, in kind of a, a Formula One-style type event. And I felt like today was a little bit of a carryover from the emotion that day when we saw Rick Hendrick say, again, like, I, I'm reinvigorated. I, I like hanging out with 23 24-year-old and 20-year-old race car drivers. Yeah, it, to me, it sounds like a man who has something to prove. And you, you, it's weird to say about Rick Hendrick, who, who's won multiple championships and is arguably the greatest owner in NASCAR history, but they had a bad year last year. And even if you go back to 2016, I know Jimmy Johnson won the championship. That was still a disappointing year in a lot of respects because the competitiveness wasn't there. The Toyotas were beating them on a regular basis. 
But today and throughout Speed Weeks, it just seems, like like Brand said, revigorated. They seem excited. They seem happy. They have a very youthful lineup. It's it's unprecedented to have three guys, uh, Chase Elliott, uh, William Byron, and Alex Bowman, have three young guys like that in the starting lineup from one team before. It's never been done in NASCAR history. It, this is going to be interesting to see how it carries on throughout the season, but they, they seem energized. And it, it also, Jimmy Johnson seems energized, too, in this role that he's kind of taken on as mentor, big brother, grandpa, if you want to go that far. Um, this te- this seems like a team that is out to prove something that says, hey, you know what, yeah, we're, we've gotten beat by the Gibbs cars on a pretty regular basis over the last couple years, but we're ready to reclaim our throne. Hendrick Motorsports went through a significant offseason restructuring here where they're no longer, they were always thought of as a four-car team that operated as two two-car teams. You had two buildings, very distinct. Chad Knauss had his building that yeah. has always sort of been Chad Knauss's <laughs> building. And yes. then whoever is the co-crew chief there works with him. And then you had the other building, which in past years has been the Casey Kane, Chase Elliott building last year, but has, has been all sorts of myriad combinations before that. Brant, now they, they are operating as a truly four-car operation, much like Gibbs or Stuart Haas, they're they're building all their cars in the same location. They, they've gone for that more standardized approach based mm-hmm. off of how they ran last year, which was, as we just discussed, not very well, and that's what prompted this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an organization that had been at the top for so long that the, the two-camp model was obviously working for them, but it, it is interesting to, to see them start over somewhat forced with, you know, Dale Earnhardt Jr. leaving, Jeff Gordon leaving, you're forced to make personnel decisions, but it gave them a prime opportunity for a big rethink. And some organizations, some uh, managers or leaders, maybe you think you're, I don't know, going against your principles to sort of do what everyone else does. But I think this was a a pretty good, you know, not a brave decision, but a unique decision for them to say, okay, other people are doing it better than us. Let's get all hands on deck. Let's get a lot of different hands on all the cars, pull the knowledge that's on the campus. They love to use the word campus over there and see if they can improve because it, as Jordan said, it's obvious that they were slipping behind the other, a lot of other organizations were getting ahead. Whether they're up to it, we'll see, but it's, it's a, it's a major new approach and um, they seem really interested in where they're going with it this year. Yeah, and I would say this, it, why it's great to be excited to, to see where Hendrick is going and the enthusiasm that's coming out, this is one race. It's it's, right, Daytona, right. it's restrictor plate race, and I think that tempers it a little bit, and the fact that they were good here last year. They, they won the poll last year for this race, and that didn't carry over necessarily for the rest of the season. So... While it's great, it gives Alec Bowman maybe some confidence, some encouraging signs after you know a trying year or so. Um, I think the the real proof in the pudding is going to be you know through the spring stretch and see these guys go to the intermediate tracks and see how they can keep up with the Toyotas, with Stuart Haas Racing, and see if they're competitive. And I think the new Chevy knows, or the, I'm sorry, the new Chevy car is going to help with that. But they still have a long way to go. And as you mentioned, Jordan, four straight pole here at Daytona, but the new face uh, last two years it was Chase Elliott. Now another of this this youthful brigade that Hendrick has with Jimmy Johnson as the veteran and Chase Elliott and William Byron and now today Alex Bowman on the pole for the Daytona 500. What did we make of Alex Bowman? Because the Daytona 500 pole positions are always sort of weird because it's it's all car. It's yeah. it's purely a team exercise. All the driver has to do is pretty much hold the wheel. What do we make about how Alex Bowman handled today? And I, I think he handled it great. I think he's done a really good job of handling the spotlight that goes along with being Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s successor. He's had some familiarity with that, though, in 2016 when he filled in. I think that helps a lot. But this 88 car, they won the pole last year at Talladega in the fall. They won the pole here at Daytona in July. So that they came out here and won the pole again is not a surprise. And we've heard it time and time again. It is car, it is motor. That's what matters here. That's not to say Bowman can't do a good job come next Sunday in the 500. 
But I think that this shows in single car runs, Hendrick Motorsports can get it done on the plate tracks. It, but the question is, can they get it done in the racing? No, I, I, as the drivers will say, it, it's it's all car. Um, it, if they came down and they were just absolutely terrible, I think there might be a bit of a panic. It, it's it was more of a validation. Um, but yeah, there, there's nothing like feeling good for a couple of days. You know, the guys are gonna be around them on the pole and maybe get themselves on some television and for a young guy every little every little trophy you can pick up to feel good about yourself heading into the into the weekend it, it's great great for the organization let them puff their chest out a little bit it could be good for us too because it enhances this preseason narrative of the generational divide in nascar <laughs> who knew how great yeah. this gap was <laughs> and uh credit to george diaz of the orlando sentinel who asked um uh, the winner of today's race, the clash, uh, Brad Kozowski, we'll get to him in a minute, but kind of jump ahead a little bit. George asked Brad, does you winning the race and Alex Bowman, one of these new kids on the block, so to speak, I'm, I'm trying to throw that out there is like, <laughs> instead of, like, we, we had the young guns yeah, and now actually I'm stealing this from Eddie Gossage. He was the one who pointed out to me like he wants to brand these new kids as the new kids on the block the alex bowman sounds very boy which is funny because none of these new kids on the block would know what new kids on the (laughs) block were (laughs) they were all born like well after the new kids on the block block. what about like the backstreet boys or something more you know something more recent we're gonna brainstorm later (laughs) so anyway like george asked a really good question i thought that got an interesting answer from from brad about you know is this young versus old and of course brad keselowski who is all of 33 years old i believe (laughs) said well what's old now is joey logano who turns 27 this year is that considered old he's been around since 2009 so it's it's going to be interesting as brad keselowski to say you know which hat are people going to assign each driver Mm -hmm. because it can't really be black and white old versus young because it's across the spectrum right yeah it's funny like it's almost as if in in these meetings someone is told make sure you get joey logano in there because he's a young guy just like you but i mean i i feel like it's it goes with like the the marital status or the kids i mean you got these you got some drivers taking college credit for goodness sakes, and you got these other guys that are, you know, drag racing their owners for Corvettes. I don't, I don't think Joey's going to be doing that with Roger Penske, even though that's a different vibe over there. But no, and Joey's always said he's an old soul. I mean, he's a guy who likes to stay in his our, you know, his motor coach on the weekends and watch uh, Boy Meets World reruns and not do anything adventurous. So he's kind of, a, you know, he's young but he's old in that sense. And like Nate said, this guy had been around since 2009. So to call him young and kind of the face of this new generation is a little bit wrong but if you look at these young kids and all their credentials you could put Logano deserves to be in that just by his age and his credentials far and exceed anyone else I mean this is a guy who's won you know a many races he's won the Daytona 500 made the final four twice you know and a, a good case could be made that he should almost be the face of NASCAR going forward because he's going to be around for probably the next 15 20 years how long did the I guess they're old guns now. Remember how? <laughs> remember how long the old guns stayed in that young guns commercial? It was about four years. I think. It was a really. And they long rotated time. some guys out. It started in November of two thousand three. I think was yeah. when Gillette yeah. officially branded, and that's when obviously calling them young guns before that was just superfluous. Once, yeah. once a corporate sponsor was assigned with twenty million dollars, <laughs> that's when it became ooh the young. You're guns. young, darn you. 
But yeah, I went through like probably a four or five year period there, yeah. I think. And they went through uh, Casey Kane joined. Like at Brian one Newman point. was like sixty five by the time he was done with Young Guns. <laughs> but we'll see if the new kids have the right stuff. Oh, wow. reference. Any other? Well done. I got gratuitous I, new I, kids I, on the block references. I, I, okay, I, that's the only song I know. Not my generation. Stop okay. It. Let's move on to some more serious topics. The racing during the clash. I want to start with a team that didn't have a great race, and that was Chip Ganassi Racing. Jamie McMurray wrecked after his car appeared to just be all over the track. Kyle Larson had problems early. He had that situation where he almost spun out and then took the blame for it after the race, but he also ran into Jimmy Johnson on the last lap as well. What do we make of what happened with Ganassi? It reminded me a little bit of what Hendrick and their handling problems the last couple of years at Daytona. Yeah, I mean, the cars just get evil, and sometimes you can't control them. Like you said, we saw that with Hendrick. And the thing with McMurray is, though, that he is known as a very aggressive restrictor plate racer. He's a guy who last year started the big one in turn three and knocked out a bunch of guys, including Jimmy Johnson. And I know Johnson was quite upset with him afterwards. It kind of manifests itself today a little bit, too, that aggressiveness. And some people were criticizing him on the radio, saying he needs to settle down a little bit. It's interesting that McMurray, who I think is a very good plate racer, he's obviously won at Talladega and Daytona, has got this style, and it doesn't seem to be meshing with the new car, with the new way to do things. And today's just another example of that. Is there any chance, I'm probably wrong here, is there any chance that we know that McMurray's really good, a really good plate racer, and Larson is, is good, too. Is there any chance that it was a coincidence that it was the Ganassis, and do you think that maybe caused the really calm finish to the race? I would I would agree with that theorem if, like, again, going back to the Hendrick example, when Jimmy Johnson had a problem, Casey Kane had a problem, Donner Jr. had a problem. Alex Bowman. Yeah, all, all of that was, was last year, and I think it happened in maybe in 2016. Yeah, Alex in, Bowman in and Talladega. Race here, yeah. or, or in Talladega. Yeah. The, the, the plate races, it was like a common phenomenon. Of course, they're, you know, maybe I'm going too far in the weeds here but they're both chevy teams i just wonder if if there's something there's some common denominator there yeah i mean larson is a guy though who is tends to be aggressive a little bit in these races i mean that we've heard that today from denny hamlin he's you know he considers larson a, a very underrated plate racer but also someone who can get out of control sometimes and we've seen that before larson likes to push the issue he runs really aggressive on the high side and if you do that here at daytona that can lead to some issues so you have to i think the best restrictor plate racers know when to mix aggressiveness with patience and i I think when you're talking about McMurray and Larson, they don't always have that balance. And I think that lends itself to pushing sometimes behind beyond your limits. And that's what happened today. Certainly that bears watching with the qualifying races Thursday. Uh, and as we head toward next Sunday's Daytona 500, another thing that there was a lot of anticipation for today certainly was the pit stop choreography. You had five man crews mandated this year by NASCAR. The fueler can only fuel the car. So you essentially had four men doing the work of what previously had been five or even six mm-hmm. because in prior years the, the gas man fuel man uh, also had some other responsibilities as well so the main takeaway i think was what we all expected stops were much slower we had a stat from racing insights that showed that the fastest stop today was almost five seconds slower than last year's clash last year it was slightly under 12 seconds and this year it was over 16 what'd you guys think about the pit stops I didn't think it was anything we didn't expect in a lot of sense. I think teams played a conservative with their strategy. We've, we've heard a lot of talk the last, you know, really since this rule came into place that teams may try all sorts of different things. But it was basically what we thought, which was the front tire care, uh, changer was carrying a tire with him, and he was responsible for that. But I will say this, the guy who won this race took a two-tire. So we saw a lot of two-tire stops today. We didn't see four-tire stops. We did not see a green, really green flag four-tire stops, which I think is where you might see some different strategy to try to save a few seconds. I would not be surprised if some teams roll out a very different 
different game plan in the duels are next week in the Daytona 500 simply because they didn't want to show their hand too right. early and say, hey, we've got an idea here that we think is really going to beat everybody on pit road. We may not have gotten a full test. Exactly. And if I know Brant James, I know that means he was disappointed <laughs> that we didn't see like jacks being thrown over the car. I need like to see today. something new. I need to see outside the envelope <laughs> thinking. I was interested. Paul Wolf, uh, Brad Keselowski's crew chief, said he predicted that teams would shave a second or two off of this, off of those by July when yeah. they come back. How? How do they do that? Practice. I mean, we've we drivers said the same thing during you know preseason media tour that they just think with repetition and once some team is going to come out with this master plan to show everybody how it's done on pit road and everybody else is going to copy it. So there's there is a winning formula out there on pit road. We may have seen it already. We may have not, but that is going to be the universal way to do it on pit road. And we'll probably know that in the next couple of weeks because it's not going to take long for these teams to show their hand. Hmm. The laws of physics just don't apply. <laughs> they don't. Answer. You, you figured this out. <laughs> So they're gonna they're gonna NASCAR it. They're gonna see what someone else did, and they're gonna steal that. Yeah, absolutely. You know what they ought to let them do? They ought to let them do their own air guns, and they'll, they'll shave like thirty seconds off pit stop. It's a terrible idea. Terrible but idea. You do you do say this though, but Austin Dillon said this at the media tour. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, we're gonna maybe you know the jack handing the jack over the car, and you talk to some people in the garage, and they're I like, just... yeah, that's you know we might see something like that. And like you look at it though, and you're like, come on, really? People are gonna be handing jacks over the over the roof of the car. It, it seems outlandish, and it is, but I, I think there is going to be a really wonky idea and it's probably going to backfire in spectacular it's fashion spectacular. it's going to be great to watch though it, it, unless you're like out there on pit road and there's a bouncing <laughs> runaway anaconda air hose coming at your face well remember a couple of years ago logano had the jack at talladega and he ended up winning the race so yeah. maybe there's a secret How strategy like right behind joey when that thing comes you <laughs> like going through the minefield with the millennium Falcon. I, I should probably note here that brant's joking as always of course but they had common pit guns for the first time today as well and that might have added another layer to this and i am also intrigued that wolf says they can shave a second off that fast but when you think about it i when i first started covering nascar almost 20 years ago stops then were generally considered fast like if they were in like the 16 to 18 second Uh, range and Mm -hmm. it came down to under 12 in the course of a decade so i mean joe gibbs racing i did a podcast with matt kenza's pit crew last year and one of the crew guys said that joe gibbs racing had like four people four engineers devoted solely to figuring out like split times and how to improve footwork just to shave off yeah thousands of a second to me this one's interesting because because you're down the body replacing that human being those two legs and those two hands I, I'm intrigued. I, I just <laughs> don't see how this is a good idea. I don't this safety thing. Unless you can this, figure out like holograms and uh, ways is, to like make them. That is the newest thing. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe like a roboto arm, <laughs> like the Jetsons or something. They never. They never ask me. I don't know why. We're coming back to Brand on this next one because Uh-oh. I know that he was somewhat amused by this. Brand has covered a lot of Roger Penske in his day in the span of about 15 years, and he's covered a lot of Indy 500s. We had Roger Penske in for Brad Keselowski winning the clash, and NASCAR has a new inspection system. Everybody is calling it, in classic NASCAR fashion, everybody is calling it the Hawkeye system, but that's not its name. (laughs) It it will have a new name eventually. It just doesn't have the name yet. It is is an optical scanning system in which they use all these cameras and projectors, high-definition cameras to scan cars. And, Brant, what did we learn today from Roger Penske? Yeah, this was was great. This was right out of the – this is why they're so successful. This is right out of the Penske alternate universe. Paul Wolf said they, they have their own, this machine that people call the Hawkeye. 
and they could sort of test their cars and they could see how they think it's going to go through inspection. But he said it was great because it's going to level competition. Them having this thing that hardly anyone else has, especially unless you're a very you know landed wealthy team, this is going to level competition. That's like saying us having this treasure map <laughs> that no one else has is going to make it such a fair fight for us to go find... <laughs> The chest full of doubloons. <laughs> it's it, it, to me, it's just one of the other things. It's like, oh, we're gonna save all the teams money. We're gonna do this, that, and this, and everybody's gonna have a level playing field, and we're gonna have parity. That's the big word in NASCAR: parity. How can we have everybody be competitive? But that's just not gonna happen. You're yeah. always gonna have the minnows, and you're always gonna have these whales. And Penske's a whale, and any unfair advantage they can—I don't say unfair, but any advantage they can go out and find, they're going to do. And if that means spending money, allocating that money towards something else, they're gonna do it. The small teams in the garage—they're not going to have these systems. They're not gonna be able to take advantage of having these systems. So that they're basically already gonna come to the track at a disadvantage, and they're not gonna be able to come that over the course of a weekend. I guess it's somewhat of a level playing field if there are five or six treasure maps. Yeah. Yes. And it's like the movie, it's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> Stuart Haas Racing and Penske and Hendrick and Gibbs and who else? Probably Furniture Row. Well, yeah. I, think, I don't know if Furniture Row would have one. Probably. Yeah. Certainly, I know Richard Childress Racing has one. And two notes here. One, I should say that NASCAR does have one of these at its R&D center in Concord, North Carolina, and has opened it up to teams. So if you are one of the, the minnows that Jordan is referring to, you can check your car at the R&D center. And Danica Patrick, who's in a, you know doing a one-off for the Daytona 500, said that her team did exactly that. I'm sure other smaller teams have as well. But a little bit of scuttlebutt from the garage that Jordan and I heard Friday was that the big teams all intended to apparently buy these in bulk together yeah, and course. hopefully get a discount. And <laughs> a team that will go unnamed. Bogo Hawkeye. I, apparently, maybe one of the teams broke ranks and said, you know, we're just going to buy our own. And now everybody's run out and got their own Hawkeye systems, which which run probably in the neighborhood, I think I've heard, three to 400 grand. Okay. So that's like the new Death Star, just, just like it was. Massive shop, wind tunnel, uh, you know, the simulator, that, that's the new thing you got to have to compete. And there's going to be something else that comes down the line. And I think to go to your point of how, yes, these all these big teams have them and they mm -hmm. can kind of compete against each other, but it does seem like that circle, that cl they're kind of closing ranks a little bit and excluding maybe some of the smaller teams. And it's going to be really hard for these smaller teams to break through that and become competitive and, and try to establish themselves. And when you, you know, it's becoming more of a closed society in a way where these big teams control everything Unless you want to come in and spend a lot of money and are willing to take your losses for many, many years, it's, a, it's really hard to think that anyone's going to want to come in and start a new team and, and, and be the next furniture row racing. I, I just think that's really it's, – it's almost near impossible under these economic conditions. Which I don't necessarily think is bad in some ways. It, provided the, the established teams, the powerhouses, have – like lines of succession here that keep them in business yeah. and and keep them on the track. I think there's always going to be haves and have-nots. Absolutely. And I do think that it remains to be seen how it's going to play out once we get to the rest of the schedule. But one narrative that is building here, and we've heard some crew chiefs say it, Rodney Childers, who doesn't sugarcoat things, said on Twitter that he was impressed by the new inspection system. And there is this sense, particularly, again, among the Ford teams, that this might help them Whereas last year you had the inspection system that there were certain areas of the car that weren't covered, and that's apparently where Toyota found some advantages, and they expected Chevy might find advantages this year. Now everybody feels like they're scanning with these 12 high-def cameras or 17 high-def cameras. They're scanning every little piece of the car. It's going to be harder, per perhaps, to, to gain an edge. But, but because this is racing and because we know that screwed-up things are going to happen, <laughs> somebody – 
a team that's got one of these things is going to show up at a racetrack in June, and they're going to be feeling great about it, and they're they're going to they're going to fail it, and they're going to be what? No, no, it was it was good off the truck. This thing was good at the shop. It's got to be something wrong with NASCAR's Hawkeye. It's funny you should say that, Brant, because huh? this weekend there was one team, and there it's basically it was described as a clerical error where the paperwork back at the shop. Uh, did not coincide with what they had here at uh, at the track, and when they went through the Hawkeye system, the numbers were just askew. So they had to go back and look at everything, and then go call back to the shop and get the right paperwork. And they figured it out eventually, and everything was fine. But like you said, though, there are going to be variables. There are things that we don't even know are going to happen. And eventually, by the summertime, there are going to be teams. There's all oh, that whole system is screwed up. It's not accurate. It happens. It always happens, and there's always going to be teams trying to skirt the rules and trying to find different ways to find speed. That's just the way this sport is. Racing. Ra- that's racing. Give credit to my colleague Dustin Long, NBCSports.com, who asked Roger Penske a question that elicited the answer that Ford will have a new body next year. We're all expecting that. Everybody's expecting it's probably going to be the Mustang here in 2019 in Cup. We all knew that. I, yeah. I think it was pretty obvious, the fact that Toyota had a, a brand-new Camry that came out last year. Chevy's got the Camaro this year. I mean, we've heard a lot of Ford drivers talk about it. Ford was going to have to do something to keep pace with these guys, and that meant a new a new body. Um, and obviously, it sounds like it's going to happen in 2019, which is what everybody expected, I think. You know, we talk about the Hawkeye system, though, and how, you know, it maybe it levels the playing field and gives Ford a better chance. If you're Ford, though, I'm just wondering, thinking out loud here, is you're saying, you know what? through a few races, all of a sudden we're pretty competitive on the track. And you know what? Wow, we may, we're going to bring out a new car next year. Do we really need that expenditure? You know, the, the car we have now is working. Um, maybe that's a way to trim costs. As you say, you know what? This Hawkeye system is doing its job and, and it doesn't require manufacturers to implement new makes and models every few years to be competitive. Yeah, but wouldn't that car be so far down the road in design and production that they'd be throwing away millions? Yeah, I mean, it's just it, this is just me spitballing, but it seems that, that this is what the idea of the Hawkeye system is supposed to do. And maybe other manufacturers look at this and say, you know what? Maybe we don't have to be hard pressed because you, and then theoretically, Toyota is going to be the next one in the line if you look at the succession order to say hey we need a new car here maybe they just say you know what we're good i'm actually fascinated by nate's point that it's going to be something besides hawkeye yeah (laughs) stay tuned i mean hawkeye's kind of cool right it's gonna imply the i can see everything you do don't you mess up (laughs) there's still time maybe to talk to nascar's lawyers and see if you can get that submitted call it lis that's that's That is definitely not on the list. So this was an interesting restrictor plate race, I thought, in that uh, there were some predictions that we would see some wild racing uh, during the course of the event, during the course of 75 laps, and it wasn't really all that wild. I think it was interesting. I mean, talk, I talked to Kevin Harvick on pit road, and he was like, I couldn't figure it out. This is a race where everybody just kind of said, let's go for it. These are backup cars. Who cares if we wreck? Let's be aggressive. And he kept using the word, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. It's unbelievable. I, I can't explain it. And I don't know if you can. It was just a weird race. It seemed like, though, once Penske kind of grabbed the top three spots with Logano and Blaney bas- basically protecting Keselowski's flank, there was nobody that could put together a run to get by them. And by the last lap, when people started to jockey a little bit, it was simply too late. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Penske's uh, were together. Blaney made a shot, and uh, he, he fell out of the lead draft yeah. low. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't – do these guys – do they think they're so secure or so knowledgeable in what they have that they're not going to they, – they've never really seemed concerned about wrecking a car but not give anything away? I don't get it. it is it some sort of weird reaction to that travesty of an ARCA race the previous night where hmm. – I mean, cause It's like, possible. Because it's like, like, possible. quite often 
the ARCA race is sort of the canary of the of, in the coal mine of Speed Weeks, where you know cars start flying into outer space and we're like, whoa, it's going to be crazy in, in the clash or whatever. But it's almost like it had the opposite effect. And I've seen this before, where I can remember vividly remember a truck race at Talladega in October of 2013, which was just a care center nightmare. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where driver after driver just coming out of there and just talking about like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, and the next day. It was a relatively tame cup race until the very last lap when I believe Austin Dillon might have gone skyward. But um, aside from that, it was tame. And I go back to the fact plate races are a weird beast because as much as like you want to say that's chaos and random and wild, it's not because drivers can determine the flow. (laughs) There's a reason the same guys keep winning these races on a regular basis. There's a reason Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano have won multiple races at Daytona and Talladega. And I think the way with the packages now and, and everything else, when you're the leader, you have such an advantage before than, than before because if you were the second place car you, years ago, you could make that run. You can kind of dictate when you want to pass. Now that's not the case. Now you can block if you're the leader, and you can really kind of stunt everybody's momentum. And especially when you've got teammates running behind you that are helping you out, that's really hard because if you're running in fourth today, you had to first figure out a way to get by Blaney. Then you had to figure out a way to get by Logano because you weren't going to be able to pass them all at once. It was just it was not going to happen. So you're going to have to cherry pick them, and it was it was just set up in a, in a way it wasn't going to be, be possible. I have another theory. Love theories. <laughs> I, I love Brent's theories. No, and it just hit me, and I think this is a rock solid theory. I think part of the reason it was so odd out there, like Kevin Harvick was talking about, even though there's a lot of good plate racers in that field, the Pied Piper of the draft ah. ain't out there anymore. Oh, yes. that's, that's Everybody's watching what Junior does. You you want to push him? You want to go with him? He's not at, The point guard's not in the game right now. And we've seen this before. When he won at Talladega in 2015, like same thing. It was like he led the pack single file for the last 20 laps, mm-hmm. and no one made a move. Mm-hmm. And... Much like in 2013 at Talladega, again, he McMurray won the race, but Junior was second for like the last 10 laps, and everybody else was just tucked in single file behind waiting for him to make the move, and then he didn't have time to make because there was a crash in the last lap. But there is, I think, validity what Brant's saying. There is, but you go back to that spring race in 2015 when Earnhardt won and he led the last 20 laps or so. Jimmy Johnson ran second in that race, and if you go back and look at some of the comments that drivers had was, we had to figure out a way to get by Johnson because right. Johnson was blocking people and kind of helping Earnhardt protect that lead. So it kind of goes back to what I said. If you have teammates... Yeah, parallel to that today yeah. with, with Blaney exactly. and Logano essentially riding shotgun for Keselowski. Yeah, if you've yeah. got teammates, it's really hard. We saw this in 2016 in the, in the Daytona 500 with the Toyota teammates where they basically positioned themselves. It was going to be an inter-team squabble to win that race. And they blew by Harvick, they blew by Logano, and they settled amongst themselves. And if you have teammates and you're committed to helping each other... That is the name of the game in restrictor plate racing now, and that's how you win. That being said, Brad Kozlowski said after the race that this the clash wouldn't necessarily be indicative of the Daytona 500 because of stage racing being such a game changer. People are going to be racing hell-bent for leather earlier in the event to try to get those points, which, of course, Truex showed last year in winning the championship that are so essential uh, to advancing through the playoffs. Are you guys buying that? I think it's going to be a wild Daytona. I think these tends to be. You're going to see a lot of green flag pit stops, which are a game changer now with these new pit rules. Obviously, you're going to have wrecks that, you know, knock out some of the contenders. Yeah, I mean, there's also a lot more cars on the track, a lot of different variables. I don't really think there's a lot of correlation between what you see in the Clash carries over to what you see in the Daytona 500 just because there's so much difference. Yeah, I I agree, too. I think think, uh, stage racing is spiced up. Uh, the plate races more than anywhere else. And, 
Nate, your point about Truex and how, you know his roadmap to the championship last year, I, I think it'll it'll get kind of silly um, at the end of the stages like we would expect. Now, despite the fact we didn't have a lot of twisted smoking sheet metal during this race, there was a, a minor controversy during it, which uh, even took on greater life on Twitter, of all things. <laughs> Who would believe that after the race? We had uh, Steve O'Donnell, NASCAR Executive Vice President, Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. all weighing in on this. And um, it was one of the big topics after the race. And it was that NASCAR elected to um, issue a penalty, a pass-through penalty to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. because he went below the yellow line and advanced his position uh, during the race, when making a pass on Kyle Busch. Now, the point of contention that Dale Jr. and some others were making were that Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was forced down there by Kyle Busch. And Steve O'Donnell seemed to concede that point, but also said... Yes, he was forced down there, but he still couldn't uh, gain that spot. I don't yeah. know if, if Stenhouse would have given the spot back if that would have been okay. I, 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 How do you do it there? Yeah. I mean, I, didn't Stenhouse tweet at some point, okay, next time I'll just not move and I'll wreck the field. Well, <laughs> I'll the make true... it an ARCA race, I think is what he yeah, said. You, yeah, you can't blend in right there, I, I don't think. It, it's just not going to work. I, it, it, it's just a, a situation and a point that it's just made for all, all of us to argue over. I don't know how that gets fixed without just – the perpetrator ricky stenhouse is ending up mad yeah I, I mean he lets off the gas he falls back that's not fair to him he, he stays in the gas he causes a wreck everyone else is mad it's a no-win position that he's in and this is one of the the nuances of restrictor plate racing where you've got a balls and strikes call and there i don't think there's one clear definitive way you can look at the tape and say yeah they made the right call or they made the wrong call this was a judgment call and it depends on your perspective Brad Kozlowski's suggestion was to take out every other page of the rule book that doesn't involve safety. Brant, being a fan of tabula rasa oh, yeah. approaches, that's that's got to strike a chord. Do it you. right now. I, I we should get one and just go. He said we could pick go one three five seven. Let's see what's gone. We'd have like rocket fuel and Ray Abraham comes back to be a crew chief again. Start building uh, yeah uh, race cars with parts we haven't heard of. Yeah, exactly. Some of those Waltrip cars from 07 would get through tech. Chad Knauss is right now is rubbing his hands together going excellent oh yeah those little what's that little flat that edwards had in in the inside of the car that man some shenanigans i see i think that's cool i mean things have got to be safe but i think that's one of the the things that are that's interesting about racing is letting these conniving smart guys come up with this ridiculous stuff that 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 is almost in a lot of ways the essence of racing which was you know what here's kind of a general outline of rules here's the safety procedures we want you to follow but if you can kind of stay within that go at it have fun uh, that's neat. It's neat to see what the engineers can come up with. And it also gives the drivers a, an opportunity to showcase their talent because sometimes you're getting behind the wheel of something that is completely out of control and it's your job to figure out how to make it work and stay on the track. All kidding aside, I mean, does Kozlowski have a point that there are too many rules yes. in NASCAR? And we hear that from the garage a lot from crew chiefs who feel, as, as Branch just noted, feel a little bit constrained. I do, but, I mean, if anything you do is is going to let that uh, there's a cause in the effect. box of the of the cause and effect and the cost because they're going to start chasing crazy stuff. I mean, but but aren't they already? We just had yeah, a discussion about but, buying Hawkeye machines. But I will say there are too many rules, even without going into what teams are spending in terms of parts and equipment. I look at what is it, Kansas last year in the, in the playoff race where they had a, they announced. Uh, before the race that you couldn't dip your wheels below the, the line on a restart and you know some of the drivers heard it, some of the drivers didn't. It's like, 
do we need that rule? I mean, can't you just say to these guys, here's the restart. Let's not, you know, here, you don't need a restart box. Do you need yellow lines? At, you know, all these little minutia rules that, that lend itself to judgment calls, I think you can do away with that in a lot of ways because the less officiating you have, like all sports, usually the, the product on the field or in this place, the, the track, is a lot better for it. And it's, it's two different things, at least, really, because you're talking about, like, officiating. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about, like, the mechanics of it. Yeah. Because if, if you have, if you really want to try and go back to the old the old days of relevance, I mean, if I'm a man, manufacturer, I would like my engines or my parts to get tested out here what, what racing started out to be. Absolutely. A, a testing ground for the cars you're going to try and sell somebody. And it's one of the issues that, you know, you hear in the truck series right now where they're going to this crate motor and there are some objections among some of the Toyota people are saying, hey, wait a second here. We want to use the, the truck series as a way to, you know, for technology to develop parts and pieces and to see what works and what doesn't. And now all of a sudden we can't. So the question is, do we really need to invest money into this series? So by... You know, there's a lot of pros and cons and yin and yang, but I, I do think the more streamlined rulebook makes it easier for everybody, and there's just less confusion. We're going to end where the race ended today. That was with Brad Keselowski in front. Brad Keselowski had never won during speed weeks, which is quite astounding to consider. He's a great restrictor plate racer. I mean, he's the best right now at Talladega with the Pied Piper having left NASCAR, and yet Keselowski has never won a Daytona 500. He'd never won anything here in the month of February, including Xfinity races, before today. Yeah, I mean, he's the best restrictor plate going right now, and I would have said that even if Earnhardt was around, because if you look at their wins, I think since 2009 in, in plate races, Keselowski exceeded Earnhardt's total. This is a guy who's won a lot of Talladega. He's won here at Daytona. No, he hasn't done it during speed weeks, but he's had opportunities. And like he said today, he's had opportunities. He didn't take advantage of it. And if you look at it, yeah, Kyle Busch doesn't have a, a victory here in the Daytona 500 as well, but Brad Keselowski is the best, best active uh, driver, uh, especially on the play tracks, not to win this race. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk a lot about, you know, a lot of different guys, <clears throat> people can win play races, but I, I think it's to become a good one and, and to win the big one, like the Daytona 500, it, it's a combination of competence and opportunity. There, there's that certain group that put themselves in that position in the last 10 laps where they're in the top 12, where someone screws it up ahead of them, they're in front, and you are, you're just earning the trust of someone who's going to push you. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is certainly the head of that group right now. If I mean, whatever his deal is with picking up garbage floating around on the street. I mean, I mean, what was the thing on the front of there today? I mean, th- that, <laughs> that looked I like mean, a towel he, or something. Remember Talladega? Yeah. He, he cooked an engine because of some kind of ridiculous 2016 knocked him, out of the knocked him out of the playoffs. It looked like a Garmin bag. It yeah, was it <laughs> It was huge. But it's he is so good, and it's, it's Keselowski. It's his spotter, Joey Meyer. If you listen to him on the radio, they are so concise with their calls, and they are so clear-cut on this is what you got to do at this time. Paul Wolf, you go back last year to Talladega in the playoff race. Paul Wolf made a decision to pit late because Brad Keselowski's radio is not working. That is a team that is just in tune with how to operate on these plate tracks. And like you said, it's putting yourself in, in position to take advantage, and they do it more often than not. Yeah. Kurt Busch was the same way. He was Absolutely. really good at it. He finally he kept putting himself in position. He finally paid one off. And 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 Brad knows that without something, you know, someone, the things that happen, someone knocking him out, uh, an engine or yeah, a bad, remnants, rest, a bad restart. Yeah, the remnants of someone's lunch garbage. I mean, he's gonna be in a spot to, to win the thing. Yeah. Littering's not funny, by the way. No, he had a car last year. Don't that... you justify littering? You've already called out Junior. Wow, I'm just you know the, for two. The bad boy of the NASCAR Media Center. Um, <laughs> it's it is. I mean, you go back to last year's race in the 10:0500, and Keselowski 
probably had the car to beat. He was leading this race, and he got swept up into a wreck, not of his own doing. It's just sometimes things are out of your control, but like you said, put yourself in position. More often than not, it's going to come through, and that's what this team does. It, it, it's starting to feel kind of like Denny Hamlin in 2016. Denny Hamlin was the same way. A lot of close calls, a lot of near misses, and he kept falling short, and then finally was able to capitalize. It, you know, It's early to say that this is Brad Keselowski's the favorite, but he's certainly on that short list. Is it early? Because he, w- he would have been my pick to win this before yeah. today. I think there's. I don't know. I don't know if I'd call like one guy the clear favorite though. I just feel hesitant to say that. I think there's probably four or five guys I feel really strong in. I feel good about Hamlin. I feel really good about Keselowski and Logano too, by the way. And I think Ryan Blaney's a sneaky guy who's good in these races that he doesn't always get a lot of credit for. So I don't think there's just one guy you look at and circle and say this is the guy to beat. I think there's probably a handful of them. But Keselowski is absolutely in that group. Yeah, I mean, if you made me pick, it would be Brad. But there's six or eight guys that I could lie and say yeah i could have seen that one too but yeah brad i it just he's good at this he is and but again let's see what happens in the duels let's see what happens you know in in practice and everything else and the one thing that it does lean credence to the fact that brad should be the favorite he started 17 today and we talked about how passing was a little hard sometimes and, and guys looked reluctant to do anything that was not the case with brad brad said you know he started last in this field and yet yeah, it's, it's a smaller field but he went to the front, and he went to the front in a hurry. And the way he controlled the race at the end there, I don't know how many he took the lead on, like, lap 39. Like the last 37 laps. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's that's hard to do in a plate race, and especially one like this. Uh, that that takes that, – that you have to give him a lot of credit for being able to do that. He's good at his job, and so are you guys. Thanks for stopping by and doing this. I enjoyed this. I hope we get to do it again. Again, Brant James – writing here for The Athletic, but freelance motorsports journalist. Check out his uh, interview with Danica Patrick on theathletic.com. That's a hint that you should maybe subscribe to The Athletic as we try to save journalism in the 21st century. It's the right thing to do, folks. (laughs) It is. And Jordan Bianchi, again, sbnation.com, the NASCAR section. You'll find Jordan's Speed Speed Week's coverage. And shameless plug for myself and NBCSports.com colleague Dustin Long. We will have daily coverage here from Daytona National Speedway through the Daytona 500 next week. Check out NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for all our coverage. And a reminder that pretty much wherever you can download podcasts, you can find this one. Please leave us a rating or review if you have any feedback. Send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan. And thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.